0: Welcome to Trevecca Community Church's sermon podcast series. Each week we'll be streaming our sermon from within the sanctuary just for you.
1: My name is Ray Dunning. I've been a member of what is now the Trevecca Community Church since 1966. Uh, I moved here uh, after 14 years of pastoring churches in Tennessee and Arkansas to uh, join the faculty and teach at Trevecca. At a very early age uh, I put together Uh, a few events that at that time I thought would identify not only who I was then, but who I would become. And uh, jotted them down on a little piece of notebook paper, which became the flyleaf of a small notebook that I used to keep my sermon outlines in. So that I uh, could be constantly reminded of those events that uh, created me as I understood myself to be. Uh, I thought they might be of interest. Of course, I was born uh, in October of uh, 1926. Now, I'll save you doing the math. In a few days, I'll be 96 years old. But uh, the the events uh, to which I made reference are actually very few. And simple. Uh, at the beginning, I thought perhaps these would be something that could be carved on my tombstone. I'm not so excited about that anymore. But they are, I think, definitive, as I said, of who I understood myself to be and to become at that time. Uh, I was born again uh, on November the 30th, 19. 19- and uh, joined the Church of the Nazarene on December the 7th, 1941. Not too long after that, actually on July the 4th, 1943, I responded to what I understood to be a call to preach. That was a pretty significant day historically, both for the world and for me. And four days later, I preached my first sermon under a tent uh, in a revival that uh, our local church was having on July the 8th, 1943. Uh, That was a big mistake. I was too young, I was not prepared. There was no way I should have been trying to preach at that young age. But actually, I don't like to think of myself and who I am in terms of being, but in terms of becoming. Most of my mature life, I have been on a quest, a quest to become who God created me to be. That is to reflect his image as embodied in Jesus Christ. But like the Apostle Paul, I haven't arrived. I'm not there yet. And also like St. Paul, uh, I there's one thing I do. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And you know, living life with a goal like that and a pursuit like that really makes life uh, exciting and romantic and it certainly keeps it from being uh, boring. I found it to be that way all along the way. The scripture passage that we have for today is found obviously in the Gospel of John, chapter six, verses 25 uh, through 42. Fairly lengthy passage. When they found him, on the, that is Jesus, on the other side of the sea, They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he hath sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then? so that we may see it and believe you. What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Everything that the Father gives me will come to me and anyone who comes to me I will never drive away for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but rather up on that last day, but raise up it up on that last day. This is indeed the will of my Father that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. Then the Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven?
0: This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Pastor Ray, Dr. Dunning, thank you for telling us a bit more of who you are. A man becoming more and more the image of God as seen in the person of Jesus Christ. Who are you? Because Jesus is dying to tell you who he is today. Today we hear these words, I am the bread of life. I'm guessing that this morning you are here. A part of this worship service, whether you're here in the building or joining us online, I'm guessing that you're here being a part of this worship service for one reason. You have a soul and your soul is hungry. Now I'm sure there's other reasons. Your spouse dragged you here. Your parents pulled you out of bed. You wanted to see a friend. You were assigned a volunteer spot, and you don't want to be ashamed for not showing up on your day to be at the door. You're curious. You saw the Facebook live stream in your stream, and you wondered what it was all about. I'm sure that there's more to it than that. But more than all of the other reasons, there is this thing about the soul. Now, in this series, we are talking about identity formation, And we can't talk about identity formation without talking about the soul or what some Christians have called the true self, the inner life, the divine spark. Across the centuries, Christians have used the term soul to describe the undefinable aspect of the human being made in the image of God. Now, I'll admit that soul is a word that for a while I just stopped using. I became really uncomfortable with it because it's too easy to talk about a person having a soul like you have a Freckle or a Toyota. And surely, when we say soul, we mean something different. And often I think Christians have used this word to divide us up into what we talked about last week fragmented pieces where there is the body over here and the mind up here and the soul wisping around somewhere like Casper the friendly ghost, right? That's often what we think about when we think about soul. We think about, I'm going to use a a big word here, a dualistic vision of the human person. Now, dualism, you think about a duel, right? Two people with swords battling against one another. It's two things that are opposed to each other. Well, dualism in this case, the way I'm referring to it, is body and soul that are seen as separate compartments of the human person. Talking about the soul has led to a lot of dualism, where the soul is understood as something totally separate and other than the body and every other part of you. And so then often in the Christian world, that leads us to sort of uh, demean the physical world. Everything else in this world and even perhaps people who are literally hungry in their physical bellies. Well, there's some other reasons for not always talking about the soul, for not thinking about the soul. And, and I was reading some Parker Palmer this last week, and, and Parker Palmer helped me to understand a little bit of even my dis-ease with talking about the soul. First there's the secularist point of view. The secularist would say that a person is completely socially constructed. And so these would be people who believe that there's nothing divine at all. There's no God, no soul, that we are a social construct. We're simply a sum of our parts and our life experiences. So talking about the soul is unnecessary. All you need are social scientists to help you make sense of the human experience. Then there's moralists who would say that a person is actually made up of their choices in life, right? Uh, That that People are essentially what they do, what they choose. It's a matter of will. And moralists might even find themselves in the camp of Christianity where they might even say that there is this bigger thing like the will of God that we aspire to. And so we try to make good moral choices that align with what God wants us to do in this world. But paying too much attention, like something like the soul or the true self, would be selfish and therefore a distraction to making good moral choices, because that is ultimately what we are. Now, I didn't know at the time, during that season of my life, that I just sort of stopped talking about the soul. I didn't know it, but I was deeply influenced by secularism and moralism, even as a believing Christian. So I just avoided talking about it altogether. I avoided talking and thinking about attending to the soul. And the more I avoided it, the hungrier my soul became. And being hungry, oh, it just brings out the worst in people. Am I right? I mean, hungry people are the worst. And when I say people, I mean me. (laughs) I am the worst. I am at my worst when I am hungry. In fact, our very first fight as a married couple was on, our hun- was on our honeymoon when I got really, really hungry. We were in a city that I thought maybe we would never be able to be in ever again. And Tim had planned this full day of sightseeing And so we got up super early in the morning and we hopped on a train. We might have grabbed like a muffin on our way out of the hotel. Didn't have a lot of money anyways to, to, you know, eat at fancy places. And so a muffin at the hotel, that's good. But we we get on the train and we head out to do all of our sightseeing for the day. And Tim's just got this agenda that is packed. We're going to go, yeah, you make the most of life, right? Let's get at it. So there's museums we're going to go to. There's statues that we're going to see and and waterworks. I mean, all kinds of stuff that we were going to do. And and he had sort of set the agenda for that day. and, And we are just headed from thing to thing to thing. And suddenly my stomach starts to preach. And it is telling me I am so hungry. And so I said to Tim, I was like, hey, okay, well, this has all been great. Good job planning a real full day. When, on the agenda, do we stop and eat? And and Tim was like, well, Shauna, okay, but do you really want to spend 30 minutes sitting down eating food? When we could be seeing museums and art and statues and and call us, you know, beautiful things of the world that we might never get to see ever again. Do you really want to spend 30 minutes eating? And I said, no, I'd like to spend 60 minutes. (laughs) I would like all of the food. I am so hungry. And so we really got in this fight about how we were going to spend our time that day. Like, you can't just go and go and go and not eat. And so finally, I just said, I am not going another step. The first place that we see that serves any kind, I don't care what kind of food, any kind of food, I will buy any food that they are selling, and that is what we are eating. And so the next place that we saw sold gelato, uh, which is uh, like a really thick, rich, creamy kind of ice cream. And so I walked into the gelato place, not speaking the language of the country, and, and just super hangry. And basically, I just made gestures to let them know I wanted the biggest, <laughs> I wanted the, the biggest, largest, you know, this kind of universal language, like, give it all to me. And so they grabbed that cone that you can even, like, the tip of the cone actually goes beyond the scope of the picture and they began to stuff the entire cone with gelato before you get to what you see on top and and so and then they you've got all the stuff on top and the wafers on I mean it was enormous more than one person should ever eat and then they told me all right that will be 20 euro which at the time was like 25 U.S. dollars and and kind of our meal budget for the day (laughs) as as a young couple just like scraping by trying to do some sightseeing. And, And so I walked out sort of sheepishly that I had just spent our entire day's meal budget on a gelato cone and immediately go into apologetic like, hey, sorry, babe maybe that was kind of short-sighted just saying i was gonna buy the first thing of food that i saw and of course i could not even finish that he helped me with it but it was just no one should eat that much ice cream but i was hangry and hangry people are the worst you know I think Jesus understood this. Like, Jesus understood that hungry people, hangry people are the worst. I think that's why the day that a large crowd came and found him, the day we talk about as the feeding of the 5,000, that day this large crowd, they come to this mountainside where Jesus is, and he turns to his disciples and immediately asks them, where are we going to get enough bread for these people? Did you hear that? He knew that hungry people are the worst. And he doesn't want to put up with them whining like Moses had to do with the Israelites when they were out in the wilderness saying things like, hey, at least in Egypt, we had big old stew pots. I mean, the people that Moses had to deal with in the wilderness, they tried to kill him when they got hungry. Jesus is no dummy. And so this crowd comes out, and his first question to his disciples is not, all right, what's the discipleship strategy? What small group curriculum are we going to use? Are we singing hymns or worship choruses? No. He says, how are we going to feed them? Where will we buy enough food, bread, for all of these people? And then like a prophet walking out of the wilderness, comes this little boy holding Andrew's hand, carrying a basket of bread loaves and fish. Jesus took the loaves and fish, and when he had blessed it and given thanks, he began to divide it up and pass it out until everyone was satisfied. And there was even more left over after the meal. But the thing about hungry people is they need to be fed again and again like Three times a day, I hear, over and over, and we are never satisfied for long. So the same people, they come and find him the very next day. They follow him across the sea, which I just can't help but laugh at. I mean, talk about not taking a hint. When someone crosses the sea to put some distance between you and them, right, back off. But but they follow him... (laughs) They follow him across the sea to come and to find him. And and Jesus knows what they're after. He knows that they're just hungry again. And so he says to them, I know that you didn't come to find me because you recognize the signs. In other words, he's saying, I know that you're not here because you see the signs that I've been sent by God the Father to be the Savior of the world. I know that's not why you're here. I I know that you are here because yesterday you got bread and today you're hungry again and you think that I am your meal ticket. And to be fair, who of us hasn't treated Jesus like a meal ticket once or twice? I mean, really? If you've been a Christian long enough, at some point you have probably started praying a prayer like, Oh, Lord, if you would just open up a parking spot right at the front i know i left late but if i am late for work one more time would you please be my meal ticket this one time jesus and i'll never ask again or oh lord this is a prayer my children prayed this last week would you please let the substitute forget about the test right oh lord please i think if we're being honest a lot of us have treated jesus like a meal ticket a time or two You know, it's funny how we normally assume that God's work is sort of confined to the spiritual compartment of our life until we need a parking space. But when someone comes along asking for physical bread, we're quick to say, hey, sorry, we're all out of bread, but Jesus is the bread of heaven. So once Jesus has thoroughly called these people out for showing up for a free meal, looking to him as a meal ticket, they ask, Well, then, why don't you give us a sign? Give us a sign to show us that you are from God. For instance, Moses gave us bread. That would be nice. But Jesus reminds them that in the wilderness, it wasn't Moses who provided the bread. It was God the Father. And then it almost sounds like Jesus spiritualizes God sending manna to feed hungry people when he says that, There is this true bread from heaven that gives life to the world. Well, when the people hear about this true bread from heaven that gives life to the world, that you will never be hungry again. Of course, they say, hey, that sounds great. Give us this bread always. Would you give us this bread, Lord? I want to ask you a question. And I'm going to then give you a chance to turn and share your answer with someone. When when the people respond in this way, asking for this bread, do you think that they are assuming that that is spiritual bread or physical bread? Like when they think, when they say, yeah, that sounds good. We'll take some of that, Jesus. We'll take it in in, in a to-go compartment because I got a busy day. When they ask for that bread, do you think they are assuming it is physical bread or spiritual bread? Feel free to turn to somebody next to you and share your answer. Work it out. All right. I'm hearing uh, some people, a lot of spiritual, couple physical, some people saying both, right? I've heard some both. Okay. You know, and, and I'll be honest, I'm asking you because I'm not sure. I'm I'm interested in your input on this. I'm not exactly sure how to divide that up between physical and spiritual because Jesus seems to be pretty clear with them at this point that the magical bread dispenser is not open today, right? Like he's just scolded them for coming for another meal ticket. Often we think about discipleship as, as feeding. In fact, we talk about this often. Discipleship is feeding the soul. And and perhaps we even talk about coming to church as being fed spiritually. And you know what? It is good to feed people. Physically and spiritually, it is good to feed people. And, And so feeding people spiritually is a good and right thing to do because hungry people are the worst. You know what I mean? Now, you may have heard the expression, feed a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish and he'll never go hungry. Have you heard this expression? There's something to that. Although sometimes hungry people just need a fish or they'll starve before they make it to the pond, right? And obviously Jesus believes in feeding hungry people. He just did it the day before. He he physically fed hungry people. He's not opposed to that. But what I hear Jesus saying to the crowd that came looking for him to be their meal ticket, day after day, meal after meal, Jesus is saying, you know, I could feed you more bread. You saw me do it yesterday, you know that I I could do that. I could feed you more bread and you'll just be hungry again tomorrow. Or I could welcome you to the feast of the kingdom of heaven, and you will never go hungry again. You see, there's a big difference between feeding people and feasting with people. Feeding happens to you. Feasting happens with you. It's sort of like when you move from the kids' table to the grown-up table. Do your families have kids' table and grown-up tables? Mine's not the only one, okay? So so my family, especially now that me and my sisters, we've all got younger kids, is sort of the only way to make things work at big family meals. We've got a kids' table and we've got a grown-up table. And 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 really the parents do all of the work at both tables. The parents actually do a lot of work at the kids' table. And and if you have little kids or have ever had little kids, you know that prepping the kids' table is a ton of work because you've got to cut all of the food up into little bite-sized pieces that nobody will choke on and make sure that there's lids on the cups so they don't spill, because small children need to be fed. And, And the kids, then they sit down to a meal that they didn't choose and they didn't cook or serve themselves And and as parents, we have this elusive dream that if you could just set the kids' table just right, you know what I'm talking about? Like if you could do all of the perfect things at the kids' table, get it set just right with the exact foods that they will eat and none of the foods that will be thrown at a sibling if you can just get all of the right slip guards and plastic placemats and maybe even some, like, rain jackets over their clothes, if you could just get the kids' table set just right, then you will get to enjoy 10 minutes, maybe 12, at the grown-up table just feasting and relaxing. That's, that's the dream, right? As a parent, I come to tell you that that dream is a dirty lie. It never happens. It, no matter how well you set the kids' table, something goes wrong. Basically, parenthood is not enjoying yourself for about five years. Can I get an amen? Okay, that's not true. There's wonderful aspects of those five years. But certainly eating a hot meal is not one of them. It doesn't work because kids need to be fed. And still, small children have some magic to bring to any meal. But over at the other table where people are feasting, everyone has helped to make the meal and chosen the side dishes that they want to bring. Like at our family gathering, my sister and I, we both have to be gluten free. And so at Thanksgiving, we make our own plate of gluten-free bread stuffing with toasted pecans and cranberries. Ooh, telling you what. And the two of us, that is ours. No one else is allowed to touch it. We eat the whole thing, just the two of us. It is so good, and then we sit around the table and we joke about how Mima's fruit salad just doesn't taste quite the same without the completely unnecessary slice of iceberg lettuce underneath it. It's just not quite the same and we tell stories and we laugh and there's a sense of feasting that's happening at that table there's no haves or have-nots no one feeding or being fed we are feasting together and the hope is that over the years our children not only learn how to feed themselves but how to find their place at the feast we are hungry people we are hungry people body and soul and it's no wonder that we spend so much of our life looking for a meal ticket for a meal ticket to our next feeding but if we will listen to our hunger and the rumbling in our soul what it is telling us i think we'll discover that what we want really deep down is not just another Big Mac on the drive to the next meeting or work activity, and it's also not just another fuzzy devotional thought from an Instagram influencer to boost you throughout the day. I think you'll find that you are really hungry to join a feast of the people of God. And you know, we're not always good at listening to our hunger. In fact, for many of us, the demands of work life actually make it easy to forget that you should stop and eat occasionally. We think that we are too busy to just stop and eat, and if we stay even busier, then maybe we'll just forget that we're hungry. We can do the same thing with our spiritual hunger. And for some of us, perhaps we have kept our souls so malnourished that they hardly even have the strength to grumble. But you know, a beautiful thing happens. A beautiful thing happens when someone moves from spiritual infancy into spiritual maturity. They no longer come to worship to be fed, they come to worship to join the feast. And that's an incredible thing. They can't wait to celebrate with the people of God and to bring their gifts and to see what gifts other people have brought and and to join this fellowship of Christian believers. This invitation that Jesus is giving to the people who came and sought him out across the lake that day, the people who were so hungry they couldn't take a hint. The invitation that Jesus is giving them is not just an invitation to a feast. Jesus is saying that he is the feast. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Was Jesus talking about spiritual bread or physical bread? And I'm just going to tell you right now, the answer is yes. The bread that will fill our souls is the flesh of Jesus, the physical flesh of Jesus, which means that at this feast in the kingdom of heaven, the feast that is the life of Jesus, there is no divide between the spiritual and the physical. Jesus is dying to tell you who he is. He's just dying to tell you it because he is the bread of life. And feasting on Jesus, on his life and witness, death and resurrection, joining in the body of Christ in this feast that feeds the hungry, this feast that will satisfy your soul is the invitation given to us today. So I want to invite invite you to join that feast In fact, I have got two different missional practices for us to consider to join the feast that we've been invited to today. And the first is the missional practice that we've identified as making room. And in fact, I've got my friend Pastor John is going to come and talk with us a little bit about one specific way that we can make room with our partners at Room in the Inn. So, Pastor John, would you tell us a little bit about the work that you do at Room in the Inn and how that is a part of this feasting that we've been describing?
2: Yeah, so I have uh, been working at Room in the Inn for 15 years since since we first came to Nashville for Kathy's position as a teacher at Trevecca. And uh, during that time, uh, I have been more and more in love with the, the place and the people and the processes of Room in the Inn. It is a very unique uh, method and and model for serving people who are do not have a place to live uh, it is in downtown Nashville just up the road about two two miles uh, we started out as a, uh, a way to to shelter people in local congregations that started about 38 years ago uh, this church if you don't know it yet is is a part of that and I might say does it the best I I I oversaw that uh, program for two years. I've been to ours. We are the best. Uh, it's a church that gets requested and it's it's for specific things of how great the food is. It's the best food that they get and and one of the other top things is that children and youth participate in it and they don't get an opportunity to have a family style setting like that sometimes so I'm, I'm so proud every time we hear that. There are, there are a few things that uh, that are the best of something at Room in the end that, that I want to share with you. One of them is that once a month we have a, a legal clinic. Uh, law, a law firm that is one of the top ones in the state of Tennessee uh, sends their lawyers, they also send, they, they invite other law firms to come, and our folks get law uh, advice that I would not be able to afford. There's no way I could touch the fees that those people give. And those lawyers, if they decide that this situation is, is appropriate, they can take on those, those legal situations and help the person. A- another thing that happens along the legal uh, side of things, um, if, if somebody doesn't have a place to live and they get stuck places, they get ticketed and fined for things that none of us would. If, they, if they're standing in a driveway too long and a car's wanting to go in, a police officer might give them a ticket for that. And over the years, that can add up to hundreds of small legal issues on their record that means that they can't get housing and they can't get a job and they're stuck forever and that's a terrible place for them to feel to be once a month there's a judge in town that decided they wanted to make a difference in that and so they come to room in the end they set up they have two flags the tennessee flag and the u.s flag There's somebody from the prosecutor's office and the public defender's office and the judge is there and if they come and do an intake with us and we have a chance to start working with them on their next steps and we go in and show the judge that that's happened the person goes in and their slate is wiped clean that's justice (laughs) and we rarely see it that clearly in our in our society one last thing that was just a celebration kind of a thing that our community got to uh, got to experience just this month, uh, there was a, a guy who h- has been prolific songwriter in Nashville you wouldn't probably know his name. His name is Don Schlitz. He wrote the song The Gambler and two hundred or more that uh, would that you would recognize if you heard them sung. The Country Music Hall of Fame was going to induct him into their uh, hall of fame. The first songwriter ever to be inducted and they asked if they could come and have the celebration at room in the inn he comes every monday morning he only plays at room in the inn and the bluebird cafe by the way in nashville anymore and we got to celebrate there were about two or three hundred of us there celebrating with him The, the whole staff came down from them and they got the best of something again
0: wow that sounds like feasting that is incredible hey can we just say thanks to our friend john for all that he does thanks One of my favorite things, even about getting to go and tour the facilities at Room in the Inn, is seeing the way folks interact with John. Um, they truly are uh, fellow guests at the feast, and it is beautiful, and it's an incredible community there. And so I want to encourage you this is one way that you might really move, right? Like make that movement towards spiritual maturity, join in the feast in sort of an outward journey. But now I want to invite you to join the feast in an inward journey, to, to really join this spiritual feast. And that's with the missional practice of prayerful listening. Prayerful listening as a practice is so important. And, and let me tell you why because it assumes that you have something to bring to the feast that you are not just coming on Sunday mornings to be fed, that you are not just expecting to be spoon-fed today, but that you can meet with the Lord and listen for the voice of God in your life. Prayerful listening as a missional practice moves us from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. So I wanna encourage you this week to ask the Lord to find some time in silence and prayer, perhaps even reread the scripture passage today from John chapter six and ask the Lord to show you what your deep hunger is. My hunch, you might know what you want from the Lord, whether that be another job or place to live, whether that be a relationship change, you might know what you want from the Lord, but I'm guessing that you don't know what you really deeply are hungry for. But so encourage you to sit with that question this week. Ask God to show you your deep hunger. Not just ask God for what you want as if Jesus were your meal ticket, because that's not who he is. Listen deeper than the want for the hunger in your soul. I got to see our son this last week uh, practice some prayerful listening. Last Sunday, we were making our family calendar for the week where we sort of chart out everything that's happening for the week. And, and last week, he wrote out the whole calendar where he got to write like what was happening every day. And one of the things on our family weekly calendar, we pick a word for the week. And since Callan was going to be the one filling out the calendar, he got to pick the word for the week. And a lot of weeks, we'll ask the kids, what do you want the word for the week to be? And they'll just be like, I don't know, you pick it, Mom. I don't care, word for the week, whatever But this week he just really quickly said, yeah, I want to pick it. I think I know the word bravery. I want the word to be bravery. Okay, bud. So we, we put the word down, right? Like he, he got to participate in that. He picked the word that week and he got to put it up on the wall. Well, this last Friday at, at his middle school that he attends, there was a scare on Friday and there was a lockdown. And if you've ever been a parent in the metro school system, when there's a lockdown, your phone is blowing up all day with these messages and alerts, and we can't get to him. We don't really know what's going on, and information is slowly trickling out. There'd been a threat made on social media that turned out to be a hoax, but of course, the school rightly took it very seriously. And his whole school went into lockdown for three hours, this room of 10-year-olds has the lights turned off, no teaching going on, they're supposed to be absolutely quiet with the door to their classroom locked in complete lockdown mode. And as he told us about it afterwards, at the end of the day, he said, mom, students were crying, people were really scared. He said, I was scared, but I was trying my best to comfort the other students in class. He tells us this whole story, and Tim and I are just so glad that he made it home, and we're so glad to have him home with us. And then after he'd shared the story and had, we'd just had a minute to process, he said, you know what? Mom, Dad, I think maybe God gave me that word bravery last week, like, to be our word for the week. Do you think? And then he kind of asked us, does God do that? <laughs> do you think maybe that was God? Do you hear him figuring out how to move from the kids' table to the grown-up table? Saying, is this what it looks like? Is this how you do it? Because I've been listening to all these stories from Scripture and stories that other people tell, and I mean, this sounds like, this sounds like maybe the way that God speaks to us and the way that God works in the world, but mom, dad, is this it? And we just got to say, yeah, buddy, I really think that God gave you that word bravery and gave you bravery in a moment that you really needed it because you were listening for the voice of God. Now, if, if our 10-year-old can try out prayerful listening, even when he is not sure, like, and asking the questions literally, is this how it works? Don't be afraid to try it out this week. To go before the Lord and sit in quiet and ask that question that might even be a scary question. God, would you show me my deep hunger this week? You know, the life of Jesus means there is no divide between our bodies and our souls. Does Jesus care about what Cowan went through physically in that space, in the bodies of our children in a world of mass shootings? Yes, Jesus cares about the physical world. Does Jesus care about their brave souls as they encounter a big, scary world? Yes, Jesus cares. And in Jesus, there's no divide between the physical and the spiritual. The life of Jesus means that we are taken up in the life of God, the bread of life that gives life to the world. And so as we even prepare for this time of communion and the band leads us, we have a moment before we head out into the craziness that the world will provide, to just practice prayerful listening this morning. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us on campus next week, we have discipleship classes beginning at 9 a.m., followed by service at 1030. That service will be streamed to Facebook
1: Live. We hope to see you there.